Good evening, everyone. Glad you're here tonight. Um, yeah, well, we were waiting for you to get here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, glad that we're all here tonight. Smaller group tonight. Holiday or something. Yeah. Well, uh, we have spent the last, I think, about a year or so going through Colossians. Um, and Jeff finished that up for me last week. Um, and Colossians was one of four letters written by Paul um, while he was in prison in Rome, hence they're known as prison epistles. Uh, three of his four prison epistles were written to the churches of Ephesus, uh, Philippians, and Colossians. Um, and the fourth prison epistle was a personal letter to a man named Philemon. Now I want to shift um, a bit and take a look at one of Paul's letters known as a pastoral epistle. There are three of them in the New Testament. There's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And they're written by Paul to these two men, uh, Timothy and Titus. Uh, and both of these men were very pivotal in Paul's life and ministry. Um, their letters written, all of those are letters written near the end of Paul's life, and 2 Timothy uh, being the last um, letter that Paul wrote before he was killed. Um, the letter I want to work our way through now and, and begin in is Paul's letter to Titus, um, which has been organized into three short chapters in your Bible. And you can turn there now if you would. I want to use this first um, lesson tonight to do an introduction to the letter to learn about Titus and his contribution to Paul's ministry and, and to the early church. Uh, and Lord willing, this will be an edifying study for all of us. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I have um, not done a study in Titus yet, and so I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, but I want to open it with a word of prayer tonight, and then we will get started. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you, uh, God, that we can come and um, continue in your word. Uh, as we, It's a never-ending supply of truth for our lives. We're so grateful, Lord, that uh, we'll never run out. There'll never come a day where we've gotten to the end and we say we don't need it anymore. Um, because, Lord, your word is always relevant, always a part of our lives, and we can always learn from it. Um, while we're on this earth, Lord, there will come a day when Christ will come and take us home. Lord, we will see him as he is. Uh, what, a, what a great day that will be. We so look forward to that, and we thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Um, thank you, Father, that we could sing songs tonight. We could sing about you as our firm foundation, Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. And Father, we're so grateful that um, you are always our firm foundation. You are an anchor. Um, Lord, you are our assurance, our hope, our everlasting life. And we are ever grateful. We praise you and thank you and want to honor you and bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> All right, 
Um, so Titus is Paul's um, second to last letter ever written before his death. So this was written before 2 Timothy, uh, written probably between 63 and 66 AD. Um, people differ on, on the timing there, but it's, most people believe it's right in that, in that area somewhere. And written either from Corinth or Nicopolis, if I'm pronouncing that right. And whether Paul was already there in Nicopolis or not, the letter specifically says that Paul wants Titus to meet him there um, for the winter. That's where Paul's going to spend the winter, and he wants Titus to meet him there eventually. And we'll, we'll chat about that a little bit further on tonight. But well, I'll start with talking about who was Titus. Because um, Titus is very important to Paul. We, we, we probably know more about Timothy than we do Titus, but Timothy was... Um, was just as important to Paul in his ministry. Um, and we don't know for sure, but it's possible that Titus came to faith through, uh, through Paul's preaching, through, during Paul's travels early on in his ministry. Um, and you could conclude that by looking at how Paul refers to Titus uh, in verse 4 of chapter 1 there. Paul calls Titus his true child in the faith. Um, but we don't know that for sure, and we don't know for sure how long they knew each other exactly. But we can gather some clues as we look through the scriptures to, to figure these things out. If you remember, it was between his first and second missionary journeys that Paul found himself at uh, the Jerusalem Council. And you guys remember what was being dealt with there at the Jerusalem Council? What were they all meeting about? All the elders came together to meet about a problem. You guys remember what that was? Right, what the Gentiles would have to do or not have to do, right? The, the problem of the Judaizers and wanting to put circumcision on the Gentiles. Um, and so they, uh, Paul found himself at the Jerusalem Council dealing with the subject of the Judaizers. And it appears that Titus was already a ministry partner of Paul's at that time. The council occurred probably between 48 and 50 A.D., uh, only, actually only a few short years after Christ was crucified and, and ascended into heaven. And how do we know Titus was there at the council? Well, we can look at other portions of Scripture and see when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, dealing with the fact that they had begun to believe the lies of the Judaizers. Remember, Paul sharply got after them about that in his letter there. Um, because they were trying to gain God's favor through works of the law. And he told them about how uh, the church leaders had already dealt with that issue, as, as he was explaining to them even about the Jerusalem Council. Um, they had already taken care of the issue of the Judaizers there, and that's documented in Acts 15, if you remember where that's at. And Paul was at the, the council 14 years after he left Jerusalem for the first time to go to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And perhaps it was during those 14 years, that 14-year period where Paul um, was in those regions that he came across Titus. And Titus came to faith in Christ. Um, at the, the council, they confirmed that salvation was through faith in Christ alone. And, and it was available to both Jews and Greeks. And it had nothing to do with the act of physical circumcision. And 
though Titus is not mentioned by name in Acts 15 as being at the council, Paul tells the Galatians he was there. Referring to his time at the Jerusalem council, Paul wrote in Galatians 2, 3, he says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So Paul tells the Galatians Titus was there when they settled this issue of circumcision. It also sounds like Titus was used by Paul as proof to the Gentiles that to be a genuine Christian, a person did not uh, need to have, did not need to be circumcised, um, or to be a Jew in particular, or adhere to the ceremonial law of Moses. He said Titus was not forced to be circumcised, and he was a Greek. Okay, so he was making that clear. But we see there that Titus, Paul indicates that Titus was with him at that Jerusalem council. Um, and let's look, at, if you would, at Titus chapter 1 and just read verses 1 through 4 before we continue on here. Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. So here we have a standard greeting from Paul, and this was really the customary way to begin a letter um, at that time. What I want to comment on here, though, is the fact that Paul identifies himself. So why would he identify himself to Titus? He's writing this letter to Titus. Why would he identify himself to Titus um, if, like we've been pointing out, Titus is well aware of who Paul is? What do you think? Why would he write this letter to Titus and identify himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ? Okay, to be read in front of everyone else. Exactly, right? It's for the sake of others. Titus knew who he was. Paul who knew who Titus was. So he wasn't introducing himself for Titus's sake, but for the sake of others. So we shouldn't, shouldn't take the fact that Paul identifies himself at the beginning as an apostle to mean that Titus didn't know who Paul was. They've been close friends and ministry partners probably at this time, probably for at least 20 years um, by the time Paul wrote this letter. That's a long time to be in, in ministry partnership with somebody. The reason Paul would have identified himself would be for the benefit of those who would hear the letter, who didn't know Paul, who had never met Paul, but also for another reason, <coughs> so that other people who hear this letter would be even more inclined to listen to the instructions that Paul gave to Titus, right? Because Paul's giving his own credentials as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, and he would want the people who hear this then to listen to Titus, who is bringing this uh, information to them from, from Paul. Titus is only mentioned, um, let's see, he's mentioned 13 times in the New Testament. And none of those mentions of Titus tell us really who he is, where he's from, who his parents are. Um, every mention that we have of him, though, is from the Apostle Paul in his writings. That's anything we see about Titus, it comes from Paul. 
In fact, nine of the 13 mentions uh, of Titus are in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Alone, just that one letter, there's nine of them. So most of the mentions of Titus are in 2 Corinthians. <coughs> and when Jeff finished up Colossians for us, you know, he spent some time talking about people who were very important in the lives um, and ministries of others. And we see a lot of that in the scriptures, actually. People that are important to one another. And, and Paul does so in a lot of his letters. He talks about the people, the men and women who are important to him in his, in his ministry. Um, and some people see uh, others who tend to do mis- ministry with the same people a lot. They, s- they see that as a problem. And they seem to spend a lot of time with the same folks. And that, that could be a problem with some people. It doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong in general. And you all probably know a lot of people, right? I mean, we all, we all know a lot of people, but how many of all the people you know do you spend a lot of time with? Not that many, right? We, we tend to have smaller groups of people that we spend a lot of time with. Well, why, why though? Why are there some that you spend more time with than others out of all the people you know? What are some reasons why that is? <laughs> you like them better. <laughs> okay, sure. What was that? You have to work with them? Okay. Common interests, okay? Yeah, like what kind of interests do we have in common with people sometimes? Work. Children, maybe both have children, maybe both don't have children. Um, you know, same careers. There's probably all kinds of things we could think about that would fit into that category of common interests. Yeah, and I think that's really, that's really true. Um, also, there's personalities that click sometimes, and sometimes personalities don't click. Um, it, it doesn't mean that we, we hate someone or something like that, but you know, sometimes you just tend to really click with one person over another person. And those aren't bad things. Okay? It's, and it's, but it's the same with people who are in ministry work. It's the same with pastors. It's the same with missionaries. Um, they have the same kind of situation where they tend to be with the same people when they do ministry work. Um, well, what are some reasons that pastors or ministers tend to partner together? I mean, we talked about why we might spend more time with other people why would, why would a pastor or somebody, a missionary even, spend more time with someone beyond the things we mentioned? So what's that? Okay, their experience. Sure, maybe it's somebody they can learn from. Yeah, okay. Hold each other accountable. Okay, sure. Any other reasons you can think of? I think we can use that general category like we did in the other one of things in common or common interests, however we said it. Um, and so doctrinal beliefs, very important, right? A, a, a person that, a pastor who believes that salvation is through Christ alone isn't going to go into ministry work with someone who doesn't believe that and who wouldn't teach that, right? So, so doctrinal beliefs are very important. Um, and so that's the thing that draws people to each other when you share those things in common. Ministry focus, right? Maybe your, maybe your common interest is a particular, if you're a missionary, maybe your common interest is a particular people group around the world. Maybe you both speak that same language and you want to be missionaries to that country. 
There could be any number of reasons, and it's okay for us to partner with people with common interests, to partner with people with common belief um, and, and focus of ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so the same would be true of Paul, and we can see that in the scriptures when he talks about the people that he partners with. And, and of all the people who worked with Paul and traveled with Paul um, through his missionary journeys, um, he didn't address letters to all of them. There's only a, a couple, a few that he addressed um, letters to by name. Um, and <clears throat> at least those that were divinely inspired, which is what we have here with his letter to Titus. Of course, it's in our Bibles. It is the, the word of God. It is divinely inspired. And, and Paul wrote it to, to Titus. And Paul's uh, important relationships with certain brothers or sisters in Christ often caused him to mention them by name. And we can see many of his letters, he mentions people by name as very valuable to him or um, helpful to him in the ministry. Um, <coughs> some of them also are mentioned for negative reasons. He, he mentions a lot of people by name who uh, he's pointing out uh, a person's apostasy or, sp or some spiritual damage that they had done to him personally or to the church. Um, but others are mentioned because of their faithful service or level of importance to Paul in his own personal life and ministry. And like I mentioned, um, all we know about Titus is what Paul says about him in his writings. And so let's look at some of those to learn what we can about Titus from Paul's own words. Um, and we'll see some of the, those reasons that he was valuable to Paul. And some of those reasons maybe why they tended to click um, together. So what does Paul say um, of Titus? And we're going to go to 2 Corinthians for, to look at a few of these. If you want to just go ahead and turn there, we'll be first in 2 Corinthians 2. <coughs> but Paul says of Titus, he was a source of uh, spiritual stability. He indicates that Titus is a source of spiritual stability. Paul relied on Titus so much that even though God gave him an opportunity for the gospel in a particular town, he left when he found out that Titus was not there with him. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 2 12 and 13 says, when I came to Trous to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So we see that <coughs> this is a pretty important person in his life. You know, the Lord opens up an opportunity for the gospel, <coughs> but because he doesn't have his, his ministry partner there, he he takes leave of them and moves on to, to Macedonia. He really valued Titus and, and his partnership with him. And so he was a source of spiritual stability there. He said, my spirit was not at rest because he didn't have Titus there. Also, he says, he indicates that Titus is a source of comfort. If we look in, in chapter 7 there in 2 Corinthians, and Paul said when, when he arrived in Macedonia where... Uh, their, their bodies had no rest due to fighting without and fear within, he says. He talks about this fighting without and fear within, uh, and their bodies had no rest. And, that, that, and he goes on to talk about that it was the coming of Titus that brought comfort. In 2 Corinthians 7, 6, he says, But God, who comforts the downcast, 
comforted us by the coming of Titus. Okay, so, so he's talking about how this is God's provision for him in his ministry that his partner Titus would come, and that brought comfort to him. God comforted him by sending Titus to be with him. And not only does Paul describe him as a source of comfort for others, but that Titus is also a man who benefits from Paul, from Paul's and other believers' fellowship. Okay, this is not a one-way street. Titus also benefits. Looking at 2 Corinthians 7, 13, it says, Therefore, we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So there's this mutual benefit from, from Titus and Paul. And not only them, but the people that they're ministering to all benefit from, from these men and their, and their ministries. <clears throat> we see also that Titus cared for the churches like Paul did. And, and Timothy was also another one who cared for the churches like Paul did. There wasn't a whole lot of people that Paul said that about. Timothy and Titus are the only ones I can think of that, that Paul said this in particular about. Uh, how they cared for the churches like him. And this was important to Paul um, in his ministry. The churches were very important to Paul. And in 2 Corinthians 8, 16, it says, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Okay, and this is, he indicates there, this is a God-given care for the church. Um, God put it into the heart of Titus have the same earnest care that Paul has for the churches. This would be very important to Paul that if he's going to trust Timothy or Titus or someone to go to the churches in his absence, he's going to want it to be somebody that would care for the church like he did um, and someone he can trust. So that's something else we learn about, about Titus um, as a man, as a ministry partner. Um, also, Paul tells us that he was a a partner in the gospel. He's a, a fellow worker with him. Again, Paul named others in the New Testament as his partners and fellow workers in the gospel and ministry to the churches. And he, he goes on to give this distinction to Titus as well in 2 Corinthians 8.23. He says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Okay, again, the, the benefit doesn't stop with Paul. He's not just important to Paul's ministry, but he's important for the benefit of uh, the churches as well. And the last thing I want to look at here is that <clears throat> Paul viewed him as a spiritual son. And just like Timothy, Paul had a, a father-son type relationship with Titus. And of course, this is based on their faith in Christ as Paul indicates in the greeting of this letter. We, we already read this tonight, but verse 4 in chapter 1 of Titus says, To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And all this is to inform us as much as we can about Titus as a man. Who is Titus? And these are the things that we have. We don't Again, we don't have who his parents were or where he was born, where he came from. We know he was a Greek, um, and now we know some about his character. We know some about him as a, as a Christian, as a fellow worker and partner in the gospel. And all this brings us to the question then of 
why Paul wrote this letter in the first place. Well, what, what we've learned about Titus is the reason that Paul charges Titus with the responsibilities that he does in this letter. And again, this was near the end of Paul's life, and we know from his last letter to Timothy that he had a sense of that. Paul was aware that his life and ministry was coming to an end. And so he, he goes about setting, this, setting things in order for the churches. Uh, he wants the ministry and the churches to continue, to move forward in his absence. And that's the, the reason why he wrote to Timothy and gave instructions about the church, and it's the reason why he writes to Titus as well, because um, he knows the end is coming for him. And do you remember what Paul said he had a daily anxiety over? In another letter, he wrote about his, his daily anxiety over something. You remember what that was? I often don't think about Paul as being anxious about anything. He actually writes and says, don't be anxious about anything. But, <coughs> but he indicated that he had a, a daily anxiety for the churches. Right? His, his concern over the churches, he talks about how it is a, a pressure on him. It's in his second letter to the Corinthians. He talked about all the things that he's dealt with, all the things he's had to suffer. And he added to that in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Not one particular church uh, that was a favorite of his, but for all the churches. There is, he, he talks about it as a pressure on him. There's a concern. And if things are going swimmingly, everyone's on track and there's no problems, there wouldn't be anything to be anxious about. But the reality is, Paul knows about all the, the problems in the churches. He's had to write many of his letters about these problems in the churches. And he's not able to be in every church all the time. And so this is, I mean, you can imagine, right? Having to be away and knowing that there's fierce wolves that are coming in, you know, not sparing the flock. And he's not there to deal with it. And he's got to write letters. He's got to trust other people to deal with it. So this is a, a daily pressure on him. He cared deeply for all the churches, for their, <coughs> for their spiritual health and well-being. And just like he did with Timothy, he gave Titus instructions for the church, for um, how he needed to make sure things were set right in the churches. And Paul's way of making sure the church was cared for was to make sure Titus was there for a certain amount of time, doing the things necessary uh, for the church to function. And that's what this letter is about. That's why he's writing this letter. And the first thing we see in the letter is that Titus is on the island of Crete. And I have an image that I'll put up on the screen just to get our minds wrapped around where that is. I got a little handy-dandy pointer here. And right over here is the island of Crete. You can see it there. Get our bearings for where that sits in the scheme of everything else. You can just leave that up if you want. Um, and Paul says in verse 5 that, that he left Titus there. And so as we look at that, we can see where in the world that island is and where Titus was at. And clearly they had both been there. They, both Paul and Titus were there, among other people. Um, they had been there starting and strengthening churches on the island um, together before Paul left. But when Paul left whenever that was, he left Titus there. 
Um, we don't know how long they were there, but when Paul left, he didn't take Titus with him um, at that time. And Crete is about 160, from what I could see, about 160 miles long, about 35 miles wide at its widest point. Um, and it's about 200 miles south of Greece, uh, which we can see right up in here. Okay. Um, so it's an island sitting out there, and it's really not that big of an island. And Paul's reason for leaving Titus there is sort of the overall theme of this letter. There are, are many things Paul tells Titus to do in the letter, but the overarching reason really is found in, in verse 5 of chapter 1. If you look there, it says, this is why I left you in Crete. So we have the answer, right? Here's why I left you. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Okay, so Paul has a very clear reason for leaving Titus there. And again, uh, there are <coughs> plenty of things he's going to say in this letter, but really what, what is going on and why he left Titus there is because things are not in order. He, he wants things to be in order, and Titus is the man that he leaves to do that. And in particular, it was to appoint elders in every town as he had directed him. The churches on the island need elders. Um, they're not yet governed as they need to be, uh, and that is Titus's task. We don't know how many churches there were, but there were certainly more than one. Um, there, were, there was more than one town. He talked, he's speaking in a plural sense. He says uh, to point elders in every town, as I directed you. So it's Titus's job to find and appoint those elders. Um, and of course, the parameters and requirements for whom to appoint is given in the, in the following verses there in Titus chapter 1. So Paul doesn't just say appoint elders. He says appoint elders and here's who they are. And here's their, the qualifications for them uh, to be elders. So he, he gives that information to Titus. Um, like his letter to Timothy, Paul gives very clear instructions for who elders are to be and what qualifies them for the job. And these are universal principles for the church when it comes to leadership. This isn't just for Crete. This isn't just for the, the churches there. Uh, any more than it was just for the churches that uh, in Ephesus that Timothy was in charge of. Uh, these are, if you look at the qualifications here in Titus and then you go back to Timothy and see those qualifications, they match up. Right? It's, not, it's not different. Uh, Titus is exhorted to, in this letter, to teach sound doctrine uh, and make sure that others are doing so as well. Not only that, they're, that anyone teaching is teaching sound doctrine, but those that are believing would be believing sound doctrine. Um, by the things that Paul writes in the letter, we can see that he knows what the problems are with the people on the island. Okay, and of course, the people on the island are people, right? We're Human beings are sinful people, and really there's not... Um, there's no new sin on the island of Crete that's different from sins in other places with other people. But there are particular things that people are known for. Um, and we can see from his writing what some of those things are. And there are, are false teachers like the Judaizers who are, they're there. 
Okay, they're, they're, he says they're upsetting entire families with this the same old false gospel that he dealt with in, in, at the Jerusalem Council and with the Galatians. Um, and this was a problem that, like we saw, Titus was already with Paul at the Jerusalem Council. He already knows that this has been dealt with and what the, what the answer is. So this isn't new, but it's still a problem that he's going to have to deal with on the island of Crete. Judaizers are there. Um, and so Titus is already familiar with these things based on his association with Paul um, in the past. There's also a problem with the Cretans, right? Those, I guess they would be natives, right? The native Cretans. And we'll learn that they have a reputation as a people, right? They're, they're said to be liars, evil beasts, and gluttons. Um, Titus is informed by Paul how he's to deal with all these folks. So as we go through the letter, we'll see not, o- not only does Paul identify the problems, but he's going to tell him how to handle those problems, how to, how to deal with those things. And it's not by tolerating and babying them, these, these false teachers or, or those who are deceivers. <clears throat> They're caught up, he says, in myths and deceptions. Some are doing so for money. Um, and we'll learn here that Titus is told that these people are to be rebuked sharply, according to Paul. But that does not mean Paul isn't concerned for them. Right? This isn't rebuke them sharply and get rid of them or anything like that. Okay? It is, he is supposed to re- rebuke them sharply, but he also tells Titus that the goal is for these people to be sound in the faith. Right, so the goal is correction. It's restoration. It's bringing the people to sound doctrine, to um, being sound in the faith. Now, we'll, we will see a portion of Scripture in here that talks about having warning people and then having nothing to do with them, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, but overall, the goal is when rebuking someone who's doing these things, is so that they can be grounded in the truth, so that they can be truly in the faith. Um, We'll see that Paul gives Titus instructions for slaves, how they're supposed to behave, uh, instructions for older men, for older women, as well as younger men and younger women within the church. And Titus is to be a model of godly living, and make sure he and any other elders are doing the same because, because of their salvation in Christ. They are to be a model for the people. And interestingly, Paul makes several points um, in this letter about holding to and teaching sound doctrine. But the letter doesn't really get to into depth into specific doctrine and in, in teaching specific doctrine that, that Titus is to teach. Right? He talks about being sound in doctrine, teaching sound doctrine, but doesn't say this one, this one, this one, this one, and here's all the points of all these doctrines. Uh, he just tells him to be sound in doctrine. So then based on what we know about Paul and Titus's relationship, we've always already talked about how well they know each other and what they think of each other, in particular what Paul thinks of Titus. So based on that, why do you think Paul wouldn't take the time 
to teach doctrine in this letter. What do you think? Why wouldn't he take the time to do that in this letter? Because Titus already knows it. Absolutely. That's right. Um, he's a fellow worker and partner in the gospel. We've seen how Paul feels about Titus, and it's the same way he felt about Timothy, and he doesn't need to teach him all the finer points of doctrine because he knows it. Titus has been there with him. He's learned from him already. He's proven himself to be sound in doctrine, so he doesn't have to remind him, here's all the finer points of all these things. So it seems that based on their long history together, Paul knows that Titus has been thoroughly instructed in sound doctrine already. He doesn't have to go there. He doesn't need to teach Titus. He just needs to encourage him to remain sound in what he already knows. Right? He already knows it, but he would have to remind him and encourage him to remain sound in that, to stand firm on that truth. Why? Well, it's the same reason any of us need to be reminded of that. No one is immune from veering away from the truth, right? Uh, we, we've, we can see that in Scripture when Peter veered away from the truth and Paul had to rebuke him to his face. Um, he was leading Barnabas astray. Um, and so it, it can happen. We all need to be reminded to remain sound in um, the truth of Scripture. But he didn't need to teach him those things. He just needed to encourage him to remain grounded in the word. We will, however, see some, in this letter, some really good reminders of the doctrines of the, the grace of God for sinners, um, the second coming of Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, justification by grace, all these things are, are found in here and we'll see and be reminded about. We'll also, like in Colossians, be reminded of the deity of Christ in a very clear way. Um, and though Paul will not explain all the, again, all the finer details of those most precious Christian doctrines, he will affirm that they are true. That they are, he'll remind his readers, and we are those readers, um, that these doctrines are to be believed and that Christians should continually be encouraged by them. So as we see them in here, as we go through this letter and we see these wonderful doctrines of God, we are to be encouraged by them. We're to be um, built up in them. We're to be reminded to be sound in them. Um, this letter emphasizes the absolute necessity of sound doctrine for the Christian as well as the necessity of Christian conduct according to the word of God. He deals with a lot of that in here. Um, Titus is told in no uncertain terms, Titus 2.15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. The point is, if, if the church is to function properly, it needs godly leadership. The church needs people who are truly saved, who are devoted to godly living, who are devoted to evangelism. And here they are on the island of Crete, wanting to establish the churches, the churches to grow. They want more people to come to faith in Christ. Um, if, a church, if the church on the island of 
Crete is to reach the lost on the island, then Titus must establish the local churches um, that follow Paul's instructions. Because what Paul instructs is the very word of God for his church. We can see that this is Paul's desire in what he says near the end of the letter in Titus 3.8. He says there, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, he, he's to insist on these things. And Paul's talking about Titus. Titus is to teach these things. He's to insist on these things. So if Titus is to insist that the Christians in these churches follow these things, can they also be optional for Christians? No. No, if, if he's to insist that they live by these truths, it is not optional. Right? We can't choose as Christians to just ignore these things, ignore the, the ways that God instructs us to live. Um, now, we do so, right? We sin, um, but overall our lives are to be marked by obedience to the word of Christ. It is not, it's not optional. So these are kind of strong words that he's telling him to, to insist, right? Again, we don't know how long Titus was there on the island of Crete um, or exactly when he left, but we know that he wasn't permitted by Paul to leave until his replacements came. Okay, in Titus 3.12, it says, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Okay, so these, these two men would be sent by Paul to continue the work in Crete, but Paul wanted Titus to come to him at Nicopolis. Again, uh, we see Paul's view of the necessity for, of Titus in his life and ministry. It seems that Paul couldn't spare Titus for very long when it came to his value um, for him. And so he was to stay in Crete for, for a time, and then Paul would send people to replace him, these two men in particular, so that he could go to meet Paul in Nicopolis. And then these two men would pick up where Titus left off. But in the meantime, the goal here, the instruction from Paul, is that he would put in order what remained, and that is that he would appoint elders in every town as he instructed him. So I'm looking forward to working through this letter, to seeing the things that we have in here that... Uh, Paul instructed uh, for Titus and for the church because it absolutely applies to us today. It should encourage us uh, in our lives today as we see and have reminders of these truths about God and of Christ's deity and what he did for us on the cross and how we are to live holy lives. Uh, and hopefully we'll be encouraged to do so uh, more and more as we study and continue to gain knowledge of our Lord and Savior um, and so next week, we'll get started working through Titus, and uh, we'll ask God to bless us in that, ask God to teach us as we go through and encourage us by his word. So let's close in prayer tonight, and, and we'll do so. Father in heaven, we thank you again for tonight, and thank you for um, this, this introduction to this letter as we've learned about 
the man Titus, what he meant to Paul and, and his ministry. Um, Lord, may we be found faithful to ministry partners in our lives. Lord, may we have common interests and, and be valuable to other people's ministry, and, and may other people be valuable to us in our ministry. Lord, I pray that none of us would be or desire to be lone wolf Christians, or that we would gather faithfully with the body of believers, that we would partner with, uh, with one another, Lord, that we would see the necessity of partnering with like-minded believers, Lord, those who believe the truth of your word, the truth about who Christ is and what he's done. Lord, may we be careful to be sound in our doctrine. And when we are shown to be wrong, Lord, may we be ready and willing to conform to your word. Father, we thank you for your patience for us, for your, your mercy. Though we are, um, we continue to struggle with sin, Lord. We thank you for the work of Christ that has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. May we move forward in our lives with that knowledge, Lord, that our sin debt has been paid for, that we have been set free, that we now can move forward living for Christ, doing truly doing good works that you have prepared for us ahead of time. Uh, we will praise you for it every day. Thank you for it. May you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.